the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Samuel. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. I don't want to discount and say that it can't be the case, but it's a rare thing to hear an audible voice from the Lord. There have been several times in the course of my life where I have really believed I've heard something from the Lord, but I can tell you I've never heard an audible voice. It's been something clear and distinct in my spirit, but the audible voice is going to be a rare thing. So for most of us, most of the time, we need to learn how to hear the still small voice of the Lord in the quietness of our souls. The Lord moves and speaks in miraculous ways to His people all the time. Whether He uses other people to communicate with us, or He directly speaks to us, we can hear Him and can have a conversation with Him. In today's message, Pastor Gary will share with you some ways God speaks to us, some that are more common and some that are rare. God can audibly speak to us, and He can speak in improbable and seemingly impossible ways. He is God over everything, and there is nothing He can't do. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 3 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. 1 Samuel chapter 3. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 3 and uh, maybe even get into chapter 4, Lord willing. This is uh, the ongoing saga of the nation of Israel as they uh, move away from God and move toward um, a monarchy because they want another person to be their king rather than the Lord. And so God is going to raise up a prophet in the meantime whose name is Samuel after whom the book is entitled. And so let's pause and pray, and then we'll jump into 1 Samuel chapter 3, where we left off last time. Lord, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for meeting us here. Thank you for being always so gracious to us. Thank you, Lord, for being so patient with us. Thank you, Lord, that you are forgiving and loving, and you're only a prayer away. We just love you, Lord. So glorify yourself, we pray, and strengthen us. As we open up your word, bless it, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. So chapter 2, an unnamed prophet comes to Eli, who was the high priest at the time, and pronounces prophetically coming judgment from the Lord, not just the nation, but in particular upon Eli and his family, his Two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, have been disobedient to the Lord. They have been committing sexual sin at the house of the Lord with women who would come to worship. They have been helping themselves 
to the best of the sacrifices that are offered to the Lord. The Lord, the Lord sees this. The Lord calls it out. And he uh, sends an unnamed prophet to rebuke Eli. And we learn in chapter 3, we'll see in a moment, that Eli knew that his sons were living in sin and that he refused to restrain them. And for that reason, God is holding Eli accountable too. And so when we come to chapter 3, there's a refreshing turn of the narrative away from this doom and gloom message of the prophet to now uh, a reference here to young Samuel. This young boy who is, uh, is one who has a heart for the Lord, whose mother, Hannah, has given Samuel to the Lord by uh, bringing him to the house of the Lord and asking Eli to raise him. She made a covenant with God that if she were to get pregnant after years of infertility, that she would dedicate the son to the Lord. And by dedicate, she meant, I will give him to the Lord for the Lord's purposes. And so she takes him after he's been weaned to the house of the Lord. And Eli raises him. This is a bold and courageous thing for many reasons. Number one, because Hannah is trusting the Lord with this vow that she has made to God, but she's entrusting her son to a man who hasn't done a very good job raising his own sons. When we come here to chapter 3, now we are seeing here the unfolding of the ministry of young Samuel as God raises him up to be a prophet for the nation of Israel. And so chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. Now, in your Bibles there, verse 1 refers to Samuel as a boy. We don't know exactly how old he is at this point. Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, says that he was 12. But we don't know for sure. It's not referenced in the Bible. But let's assume that maybe Josephus understood something from Jewish history that was not recorded in the Bible. So let's just say, going with Josephus, Samuel is 12 here. Eli is an old man, and he's going to be mentioned in chapter 4, and his age is 98. And so it is believed that chapter 3 and 4 is not really separated by too much time. So it's safe to say that Eli, the high priest, is well into his 90s at this point. Samuel is around 12, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Uh, God was not speaking as often uh, and to as many. And so he's about to train the ear of young Samuel to hear from him. And verse 2, it says, And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, I mean, the guy's over 90, so it's understandable. And verse 3, And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Now this gives us a little bit of a time reference, because the high priest would light the menorah, the candle of the Lord, the lamp of God. He would light the menorah, the seven-branched candelabra, and then it would go out eventually overnight when the fuel or the olive oil within the candelabras would burn out. So It says, before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle, meaning this is somewhere around 3 to 4 a.m., because by daylight, the menorah would be extinguished naturally. And so it hadn't yet gone out, so this is around 3 or 4 in the morning, before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered. So Samuel says, here I am. 
And so he ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. You know, you got this 12 year old boy who's hearing the voice of the Lord, but he thinks it's Eli because he hasn't heard an audible voice from God before. And so God's speaking to him and Samuel runs into Eli and he says, you called and Eli says there in the rest of verse five, and you know, he's over 90. So I'll give you my over 90 voice. I did not call lie down again. And he went and he lay down and then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. And so Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. And he answered, I did not call my son lie down again. Now, Samuel, there's a parenthetical comment here. Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. So no, in Hebrews, yada, there's a difference between religion and relationship. There's a lot of people who know about God, but they don't know God. And that was the case here. You know, Samuel has been raised in the tabernacle of the Lord with an understanding of who God is, but he didn't know God personally. Samuel did not yet know the Lord, not in a personal way. He knew about the Lord, but he didn't know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And so verse 8, and the Lord called Samuel again the third time. Aren't you glad that when we don't listen to the Lord or understand that he's talking to us, that he still will go after us time and again? So God didn't give up. Like, here's the third time. And so he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you did call me. And then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. So now Eli realizes this voice that Samuel's been hearing is the voice of the Lord. And so here's what he says to Samuel, verse 9, Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And so Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Now note here in verse uh, 10, that it says the Lord came and stood. The ancient rabbis said that this was a manifestation of God. And the language seems to indicate this because now it's not just the voice of the Lord, it's the presence of God. He stood there. Now in what form did he manifest himself? We don't know. Did he take on human form? Was it just like the Shekinah glory? I mean, was it some aspect of that? Because, you know, no man can look straight into the presence of God. And so some aspect of God manifested himself right here before young Samuel And he speaks to him again, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel answered, speak for your servant hears. By the way, if you notice the exact wording of the instruction that Eli gave him, he didn't follow exactly word for word. Eli said, tell say this, speak Lord for your servant hears. And Samuel left out the Lord part. He just says, speak for your servant hears. Like, you know, he's 12. Like, let's cut him a break, right? He's probably nervous. I mean, if God showed up in in your house, you probably would be fumbling to what to say too. But he is now ready to hear from the Lord. Now, before we see exactly what the Lord says, I thought this might be a good place for us just to kind of visit for ourselves how we hear God's voice, okay? Because short of an audible voice, which I don't want to discount, I mean, God can still speak audibly to people because God can do whatever he wants. But more often than not, it's that still small voice of the Lord that we need to learn to hear. Because it's a rare thing 
again, I don't want to discount and say that it can't be the case, but it's a rare thing to hear an audible voice from the Lord. There have been several times in the course of my life where I have really believed I've heard something from the Lord, but I can tell you I've never heard an audible voice. It's been something clear and distinct in my spirit, but the audible voice is going to be a rare thing. So for most of us, most of the time, we need to learn how to hear the still small voice of the Lord in the quietness of our souls. And I think this is a good place for us just to kind of pause. We'll get back to this and, and, uh, and see what the Lord said specifically to Samuel. But in our case, how, because I get this question probably second to the number one question I get is how can I know God's will? And then the other one is how can I hear the voice of the Lord? Because let's be honest, there are a lot of competing voices. We have our own voice in our head, our own little monologue. We have potentially the voice of the Lord. And we have, you know, the voice of the enemy. He can whisper. He can try to get in our, in our thoughts. He can try to influence us in different ways. And then we have, of course, the multiple voices of the world and people. So, you know, trying to sometimes sift through that and discern how do we, how can we hear the voice of God? There are three things that uh, I have found helpful in my life that I would share with you. Number one is the counsel of God's word. I mean, that's where it has to start. God will never say something to you in the still small voice or in an audible voice that contradicts his word. If there's ever anything that contradicts even the principle of his word, it's not from him. Because he will never contradict himself. But in Psalm 119, 105, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. A lamp to my feet. In other words, that's a lot of God's word is relevant for the near term. It's a lamp to my feet. It's like what I need to know now for today. But it's also a light to my path because God's word gives direction for things down the road. But it's important that we immerse ourselves in the word of God so that we can understand the counsel of God and hear his voice through his word. Psalm 32 verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. And so discerning the voice of the Lord comes by knowing when we read the Bible, the heart of God, so that we can then sift through those different voices to know, okay, this this is consistent with God's word. So the counsel of God's word. Number two, something I think is also helpful is the comfort of God's peace. This is Colossians 3.15, which says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to, to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Just in a sentence, never go against your peace. When God gives you his peace, that's a way that we can discern the voice of the Lord. If it's absent his peace, it's just not of him. That doesn't mean that every peaceful thought you have must be from God. But the point is that if you ever have a conflict with your peace, you know, we we say in Christianese, we say, I got to check in my spirit. That's what people mean when they say that. I got to check in my spirit. It means I, I have an uneasiness. So never go against your peace. If, you, if you're uneasy, then discount it. This can't, be, this can't be the voice of the Lord. And then number three is the confirmation of others. Now, in order to kind of keep the alliteration, I was going to go counsel of God's word, comfort of God's peace, and confirmation of God's people, okay? Could kind of keep the alliteration going. But the fact is that God can confirm things to you and not necessarily through God's people. Uh, You know, in the life of Balaam, God used a donkey to speak to that guy. 
Point is, God can use very unsuspecting people, sometimes even unbelievers, to speak. They won't even know necessarily that they're speaking something to confirm God's voice to you, but God can use people to confirm. Now, that's the key word, confirm. Please never take direction from people. Just chalk it up as confirmation from people. If somebody says to you, you know, the Lord, I believe, is speaking to you, and this is what God is saying, if God didn't tell you that first, you can just say thank you very much and tuck it away. But confirmation should be what follows God's direction to you. Because you have a direct line to God, too. If you know Jesus, like you can hear from the Lord directly. You don't need to be taking counsel from other people that supersedes what God has said to you or not said to you. So, you know, be careful that you don't take direction from people. Uh, They might be right, but you've got to test these things. So confirmation is what we need to look for. How does God use other people to confirm what he's already put in your heart? Many of you know the story of Acts chapter 10. You have this Gentile unbeliever named Cornelius. And he is a God-fearing guy, but he doesn't know Jesus. And he is uh, generous, and you know he's, he's one of these good people, right? But he doesn't know Jesus. And there's a lot of good people who don't know Jesus. And um, when I say good, that's relatively speaking. None of us is good. There's none righteous. But there are a lot of people who, you know, they're, they're decent people. They're, they're virtuous people, and they do nice things. That was Cornelius, but he didn't know Jesus. And so while he's praying, the Lord uh, appears to him and uh, tells him, send some of your men up to Joppa, because Cornelius was in Caesarea. Send your men up to Joppa. There's a guy by the name of Simon Peter, and go get him. Because God wanted Simon Peter to explain the gospel to Cornelius and his family. Now, what God was doing with Simon Peter up in Joppa was this. Simon Peter was was praying, and he has this vision of a sheep being lowered down from heaven. Inside the sheet were all these unclean animals. And in the vision, in the dream that God gave Peter, God said to him, get up and eat. Now, these were not kosher animals. So as a Jew, he should never eat those kind of animals that were that he saw in the sheet being lowered down from heaven. And so he, he, says, he says to the Lord in this dream, in this vision, he says, he says not I, Lord. You know, I'm not going to eat anything unclean. And God says, don't you call anything unclean that I've called clean. And what God was doing was opening the mind and heart of a Jew by the name of Simon Peter to realize that the Gentiles were not these dirty, unclean people any more than the Jews were, that Jesus died for all people because all are sinners. And so as a Jew, Peter had to open up his heart to realize Jesus died not just for the Jews. He died for the Gentiles because he died for all sinners and we're all sinners. And what God spoke to Peter was, there's going to be three men who come knocking at your door, and when, when you go down and you answer the door, you're to go with them because they're going to take you to Cornelius. What's the point? God was speaking at both ends. He was speaking to Cornelius. He was speaking to Simon Peter. Okay, Three guys didn't just show up at Simon Peter's house and say, you're supposed to come with us. And he went, oh, okay, and follow them. God had already spoken to Peter first, so when the guys showed up, it was just confirmation. So don't take direction from people, as as well-intentioned as they might be. But be open to how God might use other people to confirm his still small voice, so that you can hear from him. And also, Proverbs eleven fourteen there says, where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So confirmation of others and comfort of God's peace and the counsel of God's word. Now, back to our story here. So 
Samuel is learning to hear the voice of the Lord. In this case, it's an audible voice. And now the Lord is appearing before him. Samuel answers and says, speak for your servant hears. Verse 11 says, and then the Lord said to Samuel, the Lord, all capital letters, that's his proper name. So God is speaking directly to Samuel. Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Or will, we would say today would ring. In that day, I will perform against Eli, that's the high priest, all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. Or Hebrew can literally be translated, he did not frown upon them. And therefore, God's still speaking here, and therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Like, Eli's had his warning, and he hasn't done anything. And so there's not going to be any atonement for this. I've made up my mind. Judgment has come into the house of Eli. And so verse 15, so Samuel laid down until morning. Now can you imagine, you're, again, we don't know for sure, but assuming, you're, you're 12 this is a heavy word. I mean, this is a heavy word from God. Your boss, the guy you've been serving, Eli, <laughs> I'm about ready to smite him and his sons, and there's no remedy. And I just want you to know, like God is telling this young boy, judgment is coming to the house of Eli. Get ready. And so, you know, not only is Samuel no doubt awestruck by the appearance of the Lord, But now he's like burdened with this information. Well, what do I do with this? And so he laid down until morning, verse 15, and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. So that was probably part of his duties while he's there just living with Eli, that he opens the tabernacle doors in the morning. And Samuel, notice, was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Of course, of course he's afraid. And then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, here I am. And he said, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. Well, okay. I I mean, I guess I got to tell you now when you throw it on thick like that. And then Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. So this is the beginning of Samuel's prophetic ministry. He will also serve to be a judge in Israel, but his prophetic ministry is, is what he'll be known for most. And this is the first time. It's like God gave him a word, and he is speaking forth the word of God. He is forthtelling. He's being prophetic here with Eli, the high priest. And so, verse 19, so Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. In other words, everything that Samuel said was not worthless, but had meaning and in significance. And then the next verse, and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. And then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, which is where the tabernacle was. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. 
new life. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of 1 Samuel. This book is packed full of practical applications for our lives today. We follow three main characters, Saul, David, and of course Samuel, through a series of crossroads and decisions they faced during the early days in Bible times. It is here that we find the victory of David over Goliath and the development of a new prophet in young Samuel. We also find the fall of a king in Saul as a reminder of the consequences of disobedience to God. As Samuel told Saul in chapter 15, verse 22, to obey is better than to sacrifice. Did you know that getting together as a church family is one way that you can hear the truth from one another? Cornerstone Chapel gets together each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m., and Wednesday at 7 p.m. to learn from the Word and spend time in fellowship as sons and daughters of the King. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We also encourage and believe in the power of praying together and for one another. Email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net with your prayer needs today. Thanks for listening to this teaching from 1 Samuel today on Cornerstone Connection. Got no place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.